Six String Hayride podcast, a journey through the world of classic country music with your hosts, Chris Wainscott and Jim O'Malley. We will be covering all of the great topics in country music, from mama to prison, to dancing, to drinking, to guitar picking, to all the crazy deal with the devil, honky-talking stuff you do on Saturday night and how you try to get it past your Lord on Sunday morning. So climb aboard the cart and let's go. Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Six String Hayride first year anniversary special. We have made it through one year, about 25, 26 episodes, lots of fun stuff on our social media. Chris and I have managed not to kill each other and nobody's come looking to kill us. No one dared to ask his business, no one dared to make a slip. The stranger there among them had a big iron on his hip, big iron on his hip. Uh, this episode is going to involve Chris and I being interviewed by a local media figure, writer, journalist, photographer, man who has done a lot of documenting of the midwest roller derby scene our good friend barry dredzy is going to interview us hopefully we will cover all of the burning questions you have wondered about over the last year and let's get right to it barry welcome aboard thank you very much for helping out with this take it away well thanks jim thanks chris and uh I kind of figured we would get a lay of the land here. I mean, this is a country thing, so let's, you know, leave the woods and check out the landscape. Um, so I guess what we're looking to find out is uh, what are your your respective backgrounds in country music? Well, Barry, in my case, it's just something I grew up in. I grew up in West Texas. There was a lot of country music on the radio. Uh, there were a lot of country albums in the house really in everyone's house so if i was at a friend's house or a friend of my mom's house somebody somewhere always had country music close by uh i think that i don't know if i've ever told this before on the podcast but i think the thing that first captivated me about country music of all things was actually the cover of red-headed stranger lay asleep on the hillside and his heart was heavy as night don't cross don't boss him. He's wild in his sorrow. He's riding, hiding his pain. Don't fight it. Don't spite it. Just wait till tomorrow. Maybe he'll ride on again. A yellow haired lady leaned out of her by Willie Nelson. I remember staring at that album cover a lot as a kid and something about it just kind of captivated me and wanted me to learn more about that world. Uh, I spent a lot of time listening to that album pretty much on repeat. And from there, I just sort of expanded out into all the other musicians that I knew were part of the scene, whether we're talking uh, Waylon Jennings or Johnny Cash or Michael Martin Murphy, uh, any of the guys who were big at that time. So it was just part of my youth when I was first growing up. From there, I will say that as I got into my adulthood, I did kind of put it down a time or two where I would be predominantly listening to something else. Uh, and I've never really predominantly listened to country, but I've listened to it equally with other things uh, throughout the years. But I, I noticed when I was getting into my adulthood, there were times where I sort of got away from country music altogether. And then eventually something would draw me back and I would get back into it pretty heavily. I will say that for probably the last eight or 10 years, I, I've listened to as much country as I ever have in my life. I, I guess maybe something about me knew that I was gonna wind up doing a podcast. Don't cross him, don't boss him. He's wild in his sorrow. He's riding, hiding his pain. Don't fight it, don't spite it. Just wait till tomorrow. Maybe he'll ride on again. There were a, a few things uh, throughout 
childhood. And I think one of the things that really makes uh, the podcast work and that makes the relationship with Chris work is the background. And I know on the episodes, we wind up agreeing with each other a lot. Um, Maybe this will give you some insight as to why. As Chris was saying, he grew up, you know, in Texas, lots of music in the house. Chris and I have a real common element in our childhoods in that we each had a parent that was an incredibly active, knowledgeable, enthused music fan, and also a parent that we lost at fairly young ages in our lives. Uh, Chris with his mom and Willie Nelson, and me with my dad and Johnny Cash. And when I was a little kid, the Live at San Quentin record was just out and about in the house all the time. It was being played probably three, four times a week. I would hear at least one side of that record. And I think a lot of uh, listeners, certainly a lot of Johnny Cash fans, you know that picture, you know that record cover. It's a kind of darkish blue, a little sparkly. The lighting is really kind of weird. It's good to be with you. June said she knew there'd be some people from the South here tonight because some of you guys get out here in California place is so crazy you just got to get something to eat some way don't you That's right. i'm glad to see you again record kind of propped up around the living room or your parents bedroom or something in rooms that are sort of half lit because dad's listening to the record it makes an incredible impression i mean it really seemed like something that was not from earth it's it's cash in kind of profile again there's that weird bluish different bluish tints throughout the picture weird kind of lighting it's just it's not like the other record covers or magazine covers that a little kid sees around their parents house you know usually with my mom's records it was a very big brightly lit picture of Bing Crosby's head Uh, no weird lighting no weird profile it was just Bing smiling at you in kind of a creepy way now that I think about it I got sidetracked in El Paso, stopped to get myself a map, went the wrong way into Juarez with one need on my lap. And once in a while, my dad would pull out the Sears guitar that he had, and he, not terribly good, he learned how to play a little bit in the Navy in World War II, but would play Wanted Man and Wreck of the Old 97. I mean, he knew most of the songs on the San Quentin record, and that was always kind of a big deal. There's somebody set to grab me anywhere that I might be. And wherever you might look tonight, you might get a glimpse of me. And the other thing for me when I was a kid was on the weekends, this was during that period where things like the Lone Ranger, the Cisco Kid, uh, Rawhide, uh, Gunsmoke, Wanted Dead or Alive, the shows were either still on in some cases uh, Gunsmoke was still in new episodes but there were a lot of reruns on the weekends 
the cowboy thing and then when they would do a, a full gene autry movie you'd get the whole singing cowboy thing i'm back in the saddle again out where a friend is a friend where the longhorn cattle feed on the lowly jimson weed back in the saddle again and that just increased my interest in those types of cultural things uh, but also you know i started getting both kinds i was getting country from johnny and from the carters and then i'm starting to hear gene autry and i'm getting more of the western thing uh, you get more of the accordion a little more bouncy bass lines and i found by the time i was in high school and People at the time, it was things like Iron Maiden and Depeche Mode and Van Halen, and those things were all really big. And every once in a while, you know, like South of the Border or Wanted Man or Wreck of the Old 97 would just pop into my head. And I would go home and that would be the music that I was listening to. And it just seemed... I either didn't notice or didn't care that it was just terribly out of touch with what everybody else was listening to, and a lot of that stuff wasn't very good. But again, it's just kind of always been there. That, that brings up another thought. Um, you know, already, you know, you know, veteran listeners of the podcast know that, you know, not every artist that you feature, you know, is necessarily a country artist. Uh, for instance, uh, you've had clips by Warren Zevon, uh, Andrew's sisters, Walter Regan. How do you, how do you figure getting that, you know, the non-country clips into a country podcast? You know, it's interesting. I don't think I would have really thought to do that if it was, me making the decision initially, you know, if it was just me doing a podcast by myself, I don't know that I would have thought about that, but in either our first or our second episode, I believe it was the first one, the murder ballad one, Jim got a clip of Warren Zevon uh, into that episode in a way that made absolutely perfect sense. Hang your head, Tom Dooley, hang your head and cry. You killed poor Laurie Foster and you know you're bound to die. You left her by the roadside where you begged to be excused. You left her by the roadside, then you hit her clothes and she took in the 4 a.m. show at the Clark. Excitable boy, they all said. And it bit the assurance, leg in the dark. Excitable boy, they all said. Good boy, don't ever play with guns. But I shot a man in Reno just to watch him die. He took little Susie to the junior prom. Excitable boy, they all said. If I hadn't shot Podelia, I'd have had her for my wife. And that kind of lets you think outside the box a little bit. You know, one of the things we talk about a lot is how a lot of music crosses over. Uh, Dolly Parton, for example, just did her rock and roll album. A number of rock artists have made country albums over the years. Some of the fellas making nothing at all. And you can hear him cry. Can I go, buddy? Can I go down? Take your ship out the man. Gotta get down to the Cumberland Mine. Gotta get down to the Cumberland Mine. That's where I mainly spend my time. Make good money, five dollars a day. Made any more, I might move away. 
so it's one of those things where sometimes you can tell the story of country music by music by using music that's not necessarily country in and of itself. And I'm curious as to Jim's thoughts on this, since he's kind of the genesis of this idea. Come on aboard, I promise you we won't hurt the horse. We'll treat him well, feed him well. There's lots of room for you on the bandwagon. I think seriously, yeah, it, it's all one song. I mean, for the sake of business reasons, uh, sales figures, radio, uh, music videos, for all those business-related concerns, I guess it's important to know the difference between folk rock and college rock and coffeehouse folk and classic country and NASCAR country and hair metal and death metal and DIY punk and synth punk and and you're not going to have time to listen to any records if you're just trying to figure out what all the labels are and you know there used to be a person that would have a job to make those board dividers in record stores so that would be another case where okay you have to kind of make up categories for these things but if you listen to and read enough interviews with I think not just the musicians that Chris and I talk about on the program but any of the musicians that you like you can take Maybell Carter Woody Guthrie, Hank Williams and then you could take B.B. King and Howlin' Wolf you can take George Harrison Carl Perkins, Keith Richards Bob Dylan you can even you know Iggy Pop, Aretha Franklin, Sam and Dave. You can take this group of people, and if you look over the course of what they have said to their public over the years about growing up and about influences, the real common bonds are kind of consistent throughout. You know, my parents took me to church when I was a kid. This was the church music. Certainly in country and blues and gospel and in rockabilly in the American South, that's a pretty well-known and well-established tradition in all of those musicians. Again, I don't care if it's Dolly Parton, Hank Williams, B.B. King, Deef Cropper, whatever. It's parents took me to church and it was the music. And then with the English musicians and more of the rock and roll side of things, you kind of get the same thing. Paul McCartney talks about there being a piano in the house and his parents being very musical, uh, his mother going to church. Keith Richards was in a church choir, believe it or not, when he was a kid. And I'm sure that was a really good influence on him. Uh, and then the other core element here is the, it, again, in the American South and in the North, it's the family gathering around the radio on Saturday to listen to either the Grand Old Opry coming out of Nashville or the barn dance coming out of here in Chicago. And then in England, in that post-war period, where, you're, again, you have the these different influences coming to what's going to be the 60s and 70s rock and roll crowd, you have either Luxembourg or Radio Free Europe. You have BBC. But again, you have that combination of, my parents took me to church, and on the weekends, we gathered around the radio. The only other way that this wide assortment of musical talent is exposed again you have church you have the radio and then if you have like a weird uncle or a weird neighbor down the road that has a guitar or a banjo that's the other story that keeps popping up and you know barry's asking about origin stories now those are really the common threads so to me i don't really see the categories because I see and and have heard interviews again, you know, with BB King or Sam and Dave, Isaac Hayes saying, yeah, grew up listening to Grand Old Opry. It was fantastic. You know, and then you hear, well, you can go around the world and you can ask people, do you think Elvis Presley is a great rock and roll singer? And people are going, oh, hell yeah, of course. 
hey, how about that Elvis? That's one hell of a gospel singer. Oh, God, yeah, he's one of the best gospel singers ever. Wow, Elvis, man, those countrysides he cut, those are really something. Well, that's all right, Mama. That's all right for you. That's all right, Mama. Just any way you do, that's all right. There will be peace in the valley for me someday. There will be peace in the valley for me. Oh, Lord, I pray. The green, green grass of home. Yes, and they'll all come to me. Arms reaching, smiling sweetly. Oh, it's good to touch the green, green grass of home. Yeah, geez, Elvis is a hell of a country singer. Same thing with Johnny Cash. I mean, is he a rockabilly pioneer? Is he a, the, the torchbearer for Hank Williams type of storytelling? That first-person kind of introspective narrative? Or is Johnny Cash one of the great gospel singers? You know, you can take that as far out as Little Richard, rockabilly pioneer, gospel singer one of the first really true flamboyant frontman type personalities that would go on to influence somebody, you know, like Tom Jones or Conway Twitty later on in their manner and their stage personas. There really aren't labels unless you want to put the work into creating them. So when we were talking about murder ballads, the idea of Warren Zevon's Excitable Boy there's no way that that song gets written unless Zevon is aware of things like Tom Dooley or, you know, the Leuven brothers or any of these kind of, eh, this woman wouldn't marry me, or maybe she would, but either way, I took her down to the creek and hit her with a log. That made me think of, um, um, I saw Arlo Guthrie one time and he was telling a story about him and Pete Seeger were going to do a show at the, uh, at the side of the old Berlin Wall. I think it was in celebration of the wall coming down. And uh, Arlo Guthrie wanted to play I Can't Help Falling in Love With You. Can't Help Falling, yeah, the Elvis tune. Wise man sitting Only But um, uh, and he got in a big argument with um, with Pete Seeger over that's not a folk song. And Arlo Guthrie's argument was, well, what isn't a folk song? <laughs> so right. I don't know. I thought that was that, that jogged my memory of that there. Yeah. If it's folks are though. singing it, then, you know. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but before we get too into the weeds, the, the philosophical stuff. Um, let's get into whatever the driving force was behind starting this six string hayride. Jim came up to me one day and said, you know, Heidi says we should start a country music podcast and I'll be damned if that wasn't good enough for me. Uh, since Jim and I have known each other, which is well over 20 years at this point, we've always engaged in, in pretty deep musical discussions. And, and like Jim mentioned earlier, we do have a tendency to agree on most things. I mean, listeners obviously have picked up on that on the Hayride. That was wonderful. Bravo. I loved that. Oh, it was great. Well, it was pretty good. Well, it wasn't bad. Well, there were parts of it that weren't very good, yeah, though. It could have been a lot better. I didn't really like it. It was pretty terrible. It was bad. It was awful. It was terrible. Get him away. Hey, boo. Boo. 
But a lot of times there's nuance on exactly what we are agreeing with. So when Jim approached me with the idea that somebody was saying we should start a podcast, uh, from my perspective, I mean, I have a few friends who have podcasts. It always seemed like something that would be interesting to do. Um, and then probably around five years ago, I first heard the Cocaine and Rhinestones podcast by Tyler Mahan Co. Thought it was one of the most incredible things I've ever heard because he does more research per episode than anyone. I mean, hundreds and hundreds of hours of research go into all of his episodes. And I thought, you know, I'm really impressed with how well done that show is. And I know I'm never going to have to feel like I need to compete with that. So for me, the idea was, yeah, this sounds like something that we could do that would be a lot of fun. It's a subject I enjoy anyways. And I mean, again, we we have so many friends in common who have always kind of said something along the lines of, you know, you guys should have a show uh, from the musical discussions they've heard Jim and I engage in. So, uh, you know, it was one of those things that got mentioned to me. I immediately liked the idea. You know that 99% of the time when somebody says, hey, we should do whatever, you're never going to mention it again. It's just going to fall off the face of the earth and no one's going to really care. But this one we kept coming back to over and over again. So fairly early on, it became pretty obvious that we were both serious about it and we just went for it. Uh, I'm really glad that this was something that Jim wanted to do. I possess none of the skills uh, or patience for that matter for the editing. A lot of this started with our dear friend, Heidi, who uh, is down in the St. Louis area. Heidi was kind of part of this group of friends that Chris and I would travel a lot with in the early to mid 2000s, 2010s uh, to see live music. And very often Chris and I would, well, no, not very often on a regular basis. Um, Chris and I would get into these very elaborate James Joyce type conversations about different aspects of the music we were listening to or that we were about to go see. Um, we were full of opinions and information as Heidi and our other friends would say. And there was a lot of good natured, all right, professor, we get it. You know, thanks. We know, we know kind of stuff. And now um, Chris and I very quickly carved out our little corner in that world of being sort of professor-like and, but actually knowing what we're talking about, because it was really, you know, going back to childhood, a deep love of most kinds of music. And at one point, oh, this is in the early 2000s, uh, I had joked about running for president. And, you know, like Chris said, he, got a circle of friends you talk about stuff everybody's got some you know hey let's buy an island and start a commune type thing and when i pulled out the hey i'm 35 i'm gonna run for president heidi actually shows up from st louis in chicago uh, for a concert we we're going to with a bag of buttons that she had made to support me running for president i still have a few of them so you know heidi is that solid and amazing of a friend where she will take your crazy idea and then add a few steps to making it a reality. So yeah, this thing came up, uh, you know, Oh, you and Chris really talk about music a lot. You know, a lot about music and you know, blah, 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 blah podcast. And this is sort of, tail end of the pandemic time so people are at home we have some free time chris and i certainly have no shortage of music to listen to in our homes and it just seemed like the crazy idea that was actually gonna stick this is oh maybe last july of last year and all of a sudden there's like a long thread of text between us well well, maybe we could do this. Maybe we could do that. And I had kind of thrown out the name Six String Hayride is just sort of a, you know, something to work with. And that's kind of where we stopped. And it's pretty good. It works. But originally, the idea was to try to do a very structured 
almost Ken Burns kind of timeline type format and try to take the history of the guitar through country music. You know, maybe Bell Carter, Ben Atkins, Don Rich, Carl Perkins, Luther Perkins, no relation, you know, through Marty Stewart and, and people like that. And then Rolling Stone magazine, neither one of us are subscribers at this time. We have been way in the past, but they did us the most magnificent favor. They handed us a podcast on a double fold album that you could just open up and all everything we needed was right there. It's a thrill that'll get you when you get your picture on the cover of the Rolling Stone. Rolling Stone. Wanna see my picture on the cover? Wanna buy five copies for my mother? Wanna see my smiling face on the cover of the Rolling Stone? Rolling Stone magazine took it upon their silly selves to publish a best country albums of all time list. I think it was a top 50 that they did. Um, we only really dealt with the top 20. I'll get to that in a second. But um, I think Chris had seen it first and sent me the link, and I looked at it. And then there's another long bursts of text that are like, what? But, you know, really? That No, come on. You know, and we were the podcast was sort of growing out of that, you know, holy crap, are they really picking these records? And we were both kind of simultaneous. It was like, oh, we could do better than that. Oh, podcast. And I, like Chris said, and I really appreciate that. You could probably do the editing if I showed you what to do and then locked the door and left you in the room. But I, um, I have a background in college radio. When I was at DePaul in the mid-80s, I learned radio on the late 50s, early 60s board that had been at WGN Studios here in Chicago. Uh, so I did college radio for a bit. I did a lot of DJing work. And then in the mid-80s, I got roped into field recording. From about 1987 to about 1991, there was this wonderful period in live music where the Allman Brothers reunite and discover a youngster named Warren Haynes, and he really helps glue that band back together. You gotta let your soul shine, just like my daddy used to say. And the Allman Brothers encourage people to bring portable recording equipment around. The Grateful Dead, a band that we've talked about a lot, uh, a band that, you know, kind of got its early start as Bill Monroe fans who wanted to have a jug band. And they really had this nice kind of second golden era from about 87 to maybe about 1990, 91. And uh, again, that was a big part of the culture. Uh, you can ask Barry or Chris, who have been roped into helping me lug equipment around over the years. Lobos was becoming a big live act at that point. They were uh, coming off of the La Bamba soundtrack. And again, like the Almonds and like the Dead, you have a band that encourages a portable recording scene. Very much a throwback to the old Bill Monroe and the Bean Blossom Festival. That's where that tradition started of audience recording. Uh, you also have a real communal sense to the audience, to the interaction between those bands with the audience. And if you go to any one of those three bands, 
you're going to hear that they're doing Merle Haggard songs. They're doing Johnny Cash songs. They're doing a Hank Williams song here and there. Um, that combination of blues and country is really something that is a key ingredient in all three. Uh, so I got a real good crash course in portable audio and, and microphones and field recording equipment. And then I kind of had this long run of domestic life and I was recording piano recitals and doing home movies and putting music over that. Um, so, you know, when Chris and I figured on doing this, it was like, okay, I'll do the recording and the production stuff that seemed to make sense. I remember the first time we actually recorded a full conversation. It was sort of a test. Um, I think we were talking about an old murder ballad called Delia's Gone that Johnny Cash probably has like the definitive version of. And when I don't even remember the way we recorded it, I, it was some podcast helper thing that I found on Google. And then I listened to it and it was separate tracks. It was back and forth conversation. And, you know, and when we were doing this, Chris and I were both like, oh, I've done this. You know, I got no problem. And when I listened to that first batch of recording, I was like, what the hell am I going to do with this? And I think with the second or third episode, I tried to get clever and I tried to do a medley of uh, prison songs. This had to be episode two. And I sent that to Chris and he gets back to me. He's like, Whoa, that's cool. And I think that's when I kind of it was like, oh, okay, I'm actually producing and editing this thing. And Chris is always my test audience. If he gets back to me and he's like, yeah, this doesn't work, then sometimes I'm tempted to argue, but usually he's right and I'll change it. Uh, but when he gets back to me and he's like, oh, this really good or this works or where'd you find that clip? then I know it's going to be okay for everybody else. Um, I think in a lot of collaborations, if there's any sort of artistic element or creative element involved, you know, um, I used to hear the Monty Python guys say this all the time, that you know if the other guys in the room are laughing, you know you're on good footing. Uh, so to me, I'm just kind of trying to create something where Chris is like, wow, that's pretty good. That works. And then I don't really worry about it once it's out there. Well, um, you mentioned the, uh, the murder ballads, you mentioned the prison songs. So where do the ideas come from? Where do how do you select the topics per episode? It's usually a lot of back and forth between Jim and myself. Uh, a lot of times we'll try and come up with multiple topics at a time to give us quite a bit of stuff to research and, uh, you know, to try and build up a little bit of a catalog. But a lot of it is just one of us has an idea sometimes, and I'm sure the longtime listeners have picked up on this. Sometimes the ideas are calendar specific. You know, we release a 4th of July episode, we release a Labor Day episode uh, but a lot of times it's just whatever or whoever we decided on a whim that we wanted to cover. And that probably makes it sound a little more flippant than it is. Uh, one of the things we did essentially starting with the 10th episode is we switched to a mostly shorter format. Uh, we went from episodes that were two hours long, in one case over four hours long, uh, at the suggestion of a friend of ours, we actually dropped to a, a shorter format, which we've more or less adopted as the regular format at this point. And for those, a lot of times we'll just kind of at the end of recording one podcast, we'll say, well, you know, what are three ideas we could start looking into? Oh, how about Roger Miller? Hey, that's great. What about Felice and Boodle Bryant? Oh yeah, that's good too. So a lot of it is just whatever topics we've been talking about, whether we're recording episodes or just talking to them, they just kind of lead you into the next thing. You know, we, we did a, a Fender episodes.
So now you got to do a Gretsch episode. You know, etc. Um, I'm kind of curious what Jim thinks for this because again, it's just it's always been kind of organic. Chris probably gets a lot of really weird texts from me uh, with real fragment type thoughts about these things, but it sorts itself out. Um, much like with the production work and the editing work and the the choosing of the samples and the clips that I put in the episodes. Topics is another one where I've gotten a lot of uh, freedom and a lot of patience from Chris. And I, I owe you a pint for that one, man. Um, the original thing, like I had said earlier, was going to be this long you know, guitar tutorial. And then it quickly became the rebuttal of the Rolling Stone list. And at that point, we looked at the calendar and it was around Columbus Day of last year, uh, you know, early October. And we thought, okay, we have to kind of grab people right away. You have to get people's attention. I mean, we're doing this for fun and for love of music, but we do want to get listeners. So, you know, there is a commercial aspect to this. And it very quickly became, oh, Halloween's coming. We should do murder songs because there's a lot of them in folk and, and country. It's an excellent, you know, topic, perfect for Halloween. So we did that, and then we realized in the discussion that the the other side of the coin really is to do prison. So those first two kind of made themselves known in a real obvious way. And then, like Chris said, we had the, uh, now we kind of call it the Trilogy of Terror, but we got around to dealing with the Rolling Stone list. So the episode three was to go over their list, you know, what they got right, what they got wrong, back and forth. And that one's a few hours. Then episode four was Chris's personal top 20. And that one's about two and a half to three hours. Uh, so with the fifth one, with the, the last part of the trilogy of terror, we had my rebuttal to the list and then my personal top 20. And, you know, I think that was right around the time when Jeff Beck passed away. So we also had done a segment uh, honoring his work. And that episode is about four and a half hours. So, um, you know, if you're going to drive from Chicago to Nashville, those are the episodes you want to listen to when you're doing the pilgrimage. Uh, that's very much our trilogy of terror. And then after that, it was sort of like, okay, we got all the brainstorming stuff we talked about all summer out of our system. Now what do we do? And, and it just, you know, like Chris said, there's a lot of back and forth, but I think there are some things that if you're doing a, a country music podcast, there's some things that you just have to do by definition. We had to talk about the difference between country and Western. We had to talk about Gene Autry and all the old cowboy shows. We had to talk about how, how people make a list of the queens, you know, Dolly Parton, Emmy Lou, Maybelle Carter, June and her sisters, you know, the Carter girls. Um, people like Alison Krauss, you know, it becomes kind of self-defining. It just becomes obvious, you know, if you're really thinking about what you're doing. I think in the last couple of months, we've finally gotten caught up with our Willie to Johnny balance. Uh, we did a nice episode where Chris was really all over that one where we were talking about the concept albums that Willie Nelson did in the 70s. And then we actually got in the cart and rode up to Detroit weeks ago and uh, saw Willie perform, and that became a nice little episode in and of itself. Uh, yeah, we're now sort of at a regular 30 to 60-minute type format, depending on the topic and our enthusiasm. 
it's been a lot easier for the production and the editing. I think it's made it easier to, with the first half dozen or so, it was kind of like, well, I'm done working on it. It's ready. That was the schedule. And now we're deliberately doing three episodes a month. So, hey, ride listeners, you can get us wherever you get your favorite podcast three times a month. You can hook up with us on our Facebook page, Six String Hayride, and you can reach out to us at uh, Yahoo email, again, Six String Hayride. And I'll do this one first, but Chris is going to hitch up again later. Uh, there's this thing called Patreon, if I'm saying it correctly. Chris, he's nodding his head, folks. And... Uh, on Patreon, you can go on there and you can look for Six String Hayride and you can ship in whatever you want. And we're, well, I guess we're doing a pledge break here, folks. Um, <laughs> we're doing this on a on a laptop and we're doing this with as much enthusiasm and love as there is talent and technology. Uh, so if you want to get on board and help with that equation, we would love to have you. We occasionally do a gag reel that's uh, for the Patreons only, and we offer a lot of classic country uh, Southern cooking recipes. We have the John Wayne cocktail guide. We can do the agony ant bit for you there for European listeners. Um, we're here for you. So we're passing the proverbial cowboy hat. Again, that's patreon.com, and thank you very much. Oh, I gotta ask though. You know, where do where do the where do the recipes come from? Where did the decision to include the recipes come from? That was um, another Jim thing. Uh, in part of our early texts back and forth, Jim said we should include a recipe, and I thought that's one of the most random things I've ever heard. But from a branding perspective, it's it's very deep. You know, it sounds like a shallow thing. Like, oh, let's just give them a little recipe too, but. I've actually seen people in the wild say something about, oh, that's the podcast with recipes, you know, and in a handful of posts about the podcast that have made it somewhere on Facebook or whatever, I've actually seen people call back to it a little bit. So it, I don't know where Jim got the idea, but it's one of those ones that I'm really glad that he had. Uh, early on, we just used the uh, Cash Carter family cookbook. That was a little bit limiting, especially when I had to read a cheese balls recipe, and it probably took me an hour <laughs> to manage to record that without giggling. I mean, it, that was like the gag reel alone. The first gag reel, <laughs> which you can find on YouTube, has amazing, amazing clips of me trying to read this cheese ball recipe, talking about rolling the balls in your hand and browning them in the oven. I mean, I'm losing my mind trying to do this. Um, so we, we quickly expanded to easier recipe books. Um, no, we, we actually, we just got a handful of more, uh, country music cookbooks. And then I stumbled across this John Wayne cocktail cookbook and the John Wayne thing is nice just because those are usually really short and simple recipes. Uh, we did a food one again recently, uh, for jambalaya when we did our Hank Williams hundredth birthday episode, you know, and again, it's just you realize how complex it is to read a recipe because you're trying to read it at a pace where you're not slowing to a snail's crawl while also realizing that somebody out there might actually be writing this down. So, you know, speak at a reasonable pace. You know, it was kind of a random thing. I mean, it was sort of like, you know, when I thought of the name, I was thinking of this uh, older movie called Six String Samurai. So not a huge leap on my part. Um, I have maybe seven or eight cookbooks. I, I do like to cook, and I have my moments where I'm really good. But I I have a couple Irish pub food-type cookbooks, and I have a couple uh, New Orleans and Tennessee-type cookbooks, and I have the Johnny Cash, June Carter family south. south. You know, in the Appalachian area, you have Scottish and Irish influence. In Louisiana, you have Creole and you have French influence. And if you say the word Louisiana, you know, most people are going to think food and music right away. Texas, same thing. Ethnic influence in the music and in the food. The Southwest, 
very much the same. And it just kind of popped in my head. You know, I, I wasn't banking on us having a successful show because of name recognition. And I thought, oh, we need some kind of little gimmick or something. You know, we're not going to raffle off cowboy hats. Uh, stupid pet tricks had been done. And from where I was sitting on the couch, I could see the little shelf in the kitchen. And I thought, oh, we could do recipes. Because, you know, Johnny and June, they have a cookbook. There's, I think, a Dolly Parton one. There's a lot of cookbooks associated with country music personalities. It's very down home. <laughs> and well, uh, yeah, and that's, you know, that's kind of what country music is, or, you know, soul music, folk music. It's about people trying to get through Monday through Friday, letting it loose on Saturday, and praying about it on Sunday. <laughs> Or forgiveness or whatever, yeah. <laughs> yeah, just a little slice of redemption with that pecan pie, please. <laughs> um, well, while we're doing the down-home thing, what do you consider to be the classic country music? I mean, that could be like examples of songs or a type, because we know that there's a universe of, of country musics, you know, plural. But what, what do you guys consider the, the classic country music? This is a really interesting one only because there's a handful of Facebook groups that we're active in, which have this recurring theme of the good country music is dead. It's all terrible now, you know, and, and these groups almost always have classic in the name of the group. Right. So on the one hand, the answer to a question like this becomes the obvious answers, right? Hank, Jimmy, Willie, Waylon, David Allen Co. You know, you could sit here and just do a word salad of names. But to me, there's really more of a feeling that I think defines what I would consider classic country music. For instance, there's a newer guy by the name of Riley Green, who is incredible. And if you just listened to him in a vacuum and had no idea anything about him, you'd think you were listening to some sort of mid-70s country but he's a current guy. Um, things like some of Tyler Childers' music we've actually featured on our Facebook page. So I, I think when I think classic country music, I'm thinking more about the attitude of the music. Uh, something that comes across as very sincere, not polished for the sake of polishing something that's raw and entertaining and evocative. Um, I will say that for the most part, that definitely means, you know, outlaw country from the seventies or a lot of the regular country from the thirties on to the sixties, where we're talking, you know, again, Jimmy Rogers, um, Bill Monroe, you know, again, like Jim said, it's all one song. It's all one genre it's kind of the same thing. I don't necessarily think you can put a timestamp on it, but it's mostly going to be stuff from prior to the eighties, but not completely. We never, we never deliberately put a calendar on each end of, you know, what we'll talk about and, and what we won't. You know, if you want to talk about it in terms of calendar, it, the Carter family, and Jimmy Rogers, as a solo artist, started a recording career because of a guy named Ralph Keir in Bristol, which is half in Tennessee and half in Virginia, in 1927. And, and I think maybe a good point of reference is that Ken Burns uh, series about country music. He start with the 1927 event of the recording of the Carter family and then Jimmy Rogers. And in the final episode, he kind of goes into epilogue mode when June Carter, and then four months later, Johnny Cash die. Um, and I think that makes perfect sense. It is sort of bookending. Uh, you know, if you want to talk about this in terms of a, a time period of classic country, uh, Johnny and June are very much, you know, they pick up the torch and the legacy of the Carter family. 
there's no real hard and fast cutoff date, but by the time you're getting into the mid to late 80s, you're seeing musicians that are kind of students of the master. Uh, Dwight Yoakam, through the mid to late 80s, starts to get really big, and he carries that personal Buck Owens endorsement, you know, the master passing off to the student. You get people like Marty Stewart, Vince Gill, Ricky Skaggs, and then a little bit later in the 90s, Allison Krauss. But that's really the last obvious time period where you get that sense of the masters passing it off to the students. Uh, what have you guys actually learned yourselves from, you know, what have you gained? What knowledge have you gained from doing the show? When Jim was talking about how he picks uh, most of the clips that are used for the segment, that's very true, but there are some times that I will suggest a clip. For example, I'm about to fall on the sword here and relieve Jim of any lingering internet responsibility that he did this. Um, but in the Queens of Country Music episode, there was actually a clip of the song Magnet and Steel by Walter Egan, which Jim was like, wait, really? You want me to put this in the show? And I'm like, yes, because A, I love that song and I don't care who knows it. And B, it actually fits. So the answer to the question is I've learned how interconnected all of this music is. For example, that clip makes it into the podcast because we're talking about the night that Amy Lou Harris and uh, Graham Parsons meet. And it happens at Walter Egan's apartment. So when you when you realize that this thing that you liked way over here and this thing that you liked way over there are more connected than you thought, there have been a number of things like that as we've gone through and recorded the podcast. The other thing is, you know, I've rediscovered my love for a lot of the cowboy shows uh, that Jim mentioned earlier in one of his answers. I... I think obviously the thing that I've learned the most, and I think anybody listening to this can can answer this question for me, is uh, the technical ability. I mean, what I knew how to do when we started out and what I can do now a year later is vastly different. Um, there was one point over this last winter, early in 2023, where Chris and I started to work and then... Uh, it basically the the laptop was an old Flintstones kind of thing. You know, if you got your feet going really good, you know, windows would load up, you were fine. Um, but we were starting to work, and the computer crashed. I got the whole blue screen, bath, all that, and we took an hour off so I could disassemble the laptop, remove the hard drive, replace the hard drive, get the computer up and running again, and then back to work. Um, so when I occasionally mention this old kind of punk rock mentality, you know, do it yourself. Yeah, we've been living that dream. Um, so the technology bits and the things that I can do on the production end, that's been the most obvious thing. We don't have a lot of specific knowledge ahead of time of, of what each one of us is going to say. We take a topic and we'll kind of carve up a list. You know, you talk about this kind of thing. I'll talk about this kind of thing. It'll overlap here and there. But there's usually once or twice every episode where Chris will pull something out that I did not think about, didn't know. And it's like, well, I'm listening to a really good podcast right now and I'm learning stuff. And then the other thing that I've learned, although we've mentioned it a couple of times today, Jim does all of the editing and 99% of the production, but I've learned how to think in terms of the finished product. There's been a few times when we're recording where I'm able just to drop in a verbal editing note, you know, Hey Jim, this is what I mean with this. Maybe this clip would work or whatever. Um, also the, the thing we haven't talked about, which I think was another incredible idea of gems is how we'll sometimes drop movie or show clips, uh, TV show clips into the episodes. Um, so for example, in the murder ballads episode, there's a little clip from the Godfather and I had no idea that was coming. No one expects 
Box of Spanish Inquisition. Our weapon is supplies. Supplies and fear. Fear and supplies. Our two weapons. Our fear and supplies and the ruthless efficiency. Our three weapons. Our fear and supplies and the ruthless efficiency and an almost fanatical devotion to the Pope. Amongst our weapons. So when I started listening to the edited version... Uh, you know, I, I thought, okay, this is incredible. Like, this is a great idea because, it, again, it proves that you don't need to just have the same formulaic talk about a song, song clip, talk about a song, song clip formula that you can add extra things. So there's been a few times lately where I've heard something in my mind that I'd like to hear in the finished product. Uh, and that's not really something I could do throughout the first handful of episodes. It wasn't until I was hearing the finished product that I could really think about, oh, yeah, this was great here. That would that was great there. Um, but I've learned over the time frame to actually just anticipate what might fit well, uh, which is makes it a lot easier to do my small part of the recording process. I think now that Chris has a feel for that, he says things and he's already figuring in his head, you know, like, okay, this is where we can go with this in terms of the production. Uh, there's a lot of things now over the last year that have become even more telepathic between us. When we were in Michigan a couple of weeks ago, seeing Willie Nelson and Bob Weir, there were a few moments where a song or a musical thing came up and we just kind of glanced at each other. It was like, yeah, okay. Um you know, the more you work with somebody, and if you work well and happily and successfully, that telepathy just kind of forms. And, yeah, I'll get a note from Krishna. I'll be like, oh, put this in here, put this in there. And it's nice to know we're thinking the same thing because then, you know, going back to that idea of who my test audience is, I, I know I'm already there because we're getting the same ideas at the same time. You know, one last question. Have either of you ever been on an, on an actual hayride? Yes. I <laughs> cede to Jim's wisdom then. <laughs> I, I don't know that wisdom had anything to do with it. I was in Thumb uh, Scouts or Boy Scouts. I was in one of those summer camp uniform, camp fiery laden type things that my mother most likely signed me up for. Uh, but we were in a cart pulled by a horse and there was hay and there was pumpkins in the cart and I lived through it. I say though that in terms of um, traveling by automobile to see live music, to go to you know music fest, concerts, whatever, uh, Chris and I have put a lot of miles on over the years doing that and he is the finest navigator I have yet to have sitting in that seat. They have not had Chewbacca. Short of that, <laughs> Chris, we've never gotten lost for more than 15, 20 minutes at a crack. And we've never gotten pulled over and we've never gotten killed. So thank you. Got that going for us. Back on wood. <laughs> uh, as for an actual hayride, I don't believe I have. I know I've done a lot of the things where they would bring a wagon full of hay to the schoolyard and a bunch of ponies and give kids rides arounds on the ponies. But I, I don't recall ever actually being in the back of a hay wagon getting pulled by a horse or anything <laughs> like that. But it, it could just be one of the weird blurred memories because there were so many things that involved hay wagons and horses as a kid. Oh, well, thanks, guys. Yeah, thank you so much for agreeing to do this. Yeah, thanks, oh, Barry, and uh, my thank pleasure. You it's actually, uh, actually quite fun. Uh, before fun we go, you have right. an odd notion of fun. <laughs> before we go, I do want to make one last. Uh, I guess we'll go back to the pledge drive uh, meme that Jim used earlier. Um, so we've talked about a couple of things throughout this episode. We talked about the early challenges with the free software, which was all we could afford at the time. We talked about the laptop dying early on in production. So a couple of things I want to point out to listeners. First of all, that to this day is the same laptop that Jim is using. It's been rebuilt, um, but it's the same laptop. Uh, we finally 
were able to buy the cheapest version of recording. Well, not even buy, but sign up for a subscription to the cheapest version of editing software that had the minimum qualities we were looking for. Basically, we're doing all of this on our dime, which is to say, if you go to patreon.com and search for six string hayride with six spelled out, it'll give you the option if you'd like to to become a patron of the show and donate a little bit of money. Uh, Barry actually was our first patron. Um, that did not buy him the ability to do this interview. But if anybody <laughs> else out there would like to try and bribe us for the next one, we're open to all bribes. Um, but no, seriously, if anybody out there does feel like becoming a patron of the show, we would sincerely appreciate it. I mean, essentially, we want to use the money to get Jim a better computer. We'd like to get even better recording software. We'd like the ability to license certain sound effects and things here and there. I mean, we literally do this on a shoestring budget. It is very punk rock. It's very DIY. Um, it's gotten better over the year, but we could get even better with your help. Thank you for listening to this episode. Thank you to Barry for hosting. Thanks to Jim, who now has the thankless job of having to edit all this to make it resemble an actual conversation. And uh, good night, Hayride. Email us at sixstringhayride at yahoo.com. Six is spelled out. You can also search us uh, on Facebook as Six String Hayride. Or what we'd really appreciate you doing is finding us on Patreon under Six String Hayride as well. Well, folks, thanks again for joining your hosts, Chris Wainscott and Jim O'Malley on the Six String Hayride Classic Country Podcast. We are here for all of your classic country, rockabilly, early rock and roll, little gospel, little blues, a lot of excellent country music-themed recipes. And basically, we are here to keep your musical circle rocking bopping and very much unbroken so thank you for sticking with us we will see you down the road real soon and again whether it's in your home in your community wherever it is you do your thing keep your circle unbroken stay well stay safe and we'll see you real soon oh can the circle be unbroken by and by lord by and I'm gonna join the family circle at the throne No, the circle won't be broken By and by, Lord, by and by Remember, the Force will be with you, always. <laughs>